0: listeners, and welcome to the NK News Podcast, recorded here in Seoul on Friday, February 1st, 2019. And today I am joined by Ms. Sina Paulson, Seoul representative of the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, or OHCHR. We will be talking about the international community and what it can do to improve human rights in North Korea. But before that, an announcement. Once again, NK News is offering a free year's subscription to one reviewer who reviews our podcast, not only at iTunes, but also at other platforms. And you can save $50 off your NK News subscription by using the code PODCAST at the checkout. Don't forget, if you like this podcast, please share it with others so that our listenership will continue to grow. Alright, my guest today, Sina Paulson, has served as the representative of the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, it's a long long title, or OHCHR, in Seoul since August 2015. Prior to this, she served in various capacities for the OHCHR, including postings in Liberia, East Timor, Kyrgyzstan, and Papua New Guinea. Before joining the United Nations... Ms. Paulson worked with international human rights organizations, including Amnesty International. She's a Danish national and holds an MSc from the London School of Economics in Human Rights. Thank you for joining me and welcome, Sina. Thank you. All right, let's talk a little bit about the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. I'm guessing from the name that it's something that comes from the Universal Declaration of Human Rights signed just over 70 years ago in uh, December 1948. Is that correct?
1: Um, It is correct, but it's also correct that it even goes further back than that. So the UN Charter, when the UN was first created, recognizes that uh, there are three pillars that the UN works towards. Peace and security is one, development is another, and human rights is a third one. And so what the leaders at that time came up with was that these three areas have to be progressed together so that... um, yeah, in, in order to achieve them in a in a sustainable way. In the beginning, as a as a smaller office, and then over time, as the human rights uh, framework developed, like the UDHR, and also the covenants and, and conventions later on, grew in importance and and had its headquarters in in Geneva.
0: Uh, and how long has the OHCHR had an office in, in South Korea?
1: So OHCHR opened its office in, in South Korea in 2015, and, and I arrived at,
0: at that time. Ah, so you, you were here to open it?
1: I was here to open the
0: office. Okay. And was your purpose, or was the purpose for opening an office here mainly to look at issues in, in North Korea?
1: It, it was only to look at issues in, in North Korea, ah. in fact. Okay. Um, it, it followed directly from a resolution that was passed in the Human Rights Council after the Commission mm-hmm. of England report
0: right okay and the reason that you're here in in south korea is because it's not possible for you to open an office in north korea is that correct
1: indeed in in most uh, situations we would have a country office operating inside the country to do technical cooperation or monitoring or or whatever the mandate is
0: right but so when you're in liberia you're working on issues within liberia exactly and, and so on Okay. Uh, so given that you you're not actually there in North Korea and it's as we know it's it's hard and almost impossible to communicate directly from South Korea to North Korea, is there a channel of communication for the OHCHR to communicate with the DPRK government?
1: Sure. As as with other member states, the the communication with with DPRK goes uh, via the permanent mission of of the DPRK in Geneva and our headquarters in Geneva. So that line of communication works, and, and we can talk about what, what is also done with the DPRK in Geneva. From our office in particular, it's, it's very difficult um, because the DPRK or North Korea doesn't recognize the, the resolution that establishes our,
0: our office. So then when you communicate to the, uh, the permanent represent- representation in Geneva, uh, given that they don't recognize the resolution or the existence of your office. How does that work? How does, is, is communication one-sided or, or how does it function?
1: Well, the, the DPRK as a member of the United Nations, of course, recognizes the OHCHR as, as a whole. So communication on, on thematic areas like women, children, persons with disabilities or, or technical cooperation more broadly works, works well and, mm. and there is two-way communication about that in Geneva.
0: So to what extent then is it possible to work on North Korean human rights issues while having no direct access and being based here in South Korea?
1: In terms of, of our work on North Korea, of course, not having access is a, is a big disadvantage. Um, it means that you're only getting a, a certain part of the information you would like to have. It me- means that there are people you would like to talk to that you're not actually able to talk to. Mm. So, in in other contexts, for example, if if there was an allegation of of a, a violation happening, you would go and talk to various people involved or, or allegedly involved, and and uh, try to find out a full picture of what was happening. In North Korea, we we have narratives of of people who leave North Korea, but there's a lot of information we're missing. Um, Having said that, uh, that doesn't mean we can't work on uh, human rights violations in North Korea from here. We have a lot of information. We have access to information that has been accumulated over time. So it is possible. But, of course, there are also limitations.
0: That, that must feel very frustrating for you. It must be, I can only imagine for myself, it would be like working with one hand tied behind my back and wearing a blindfold. And, and sometimes you, you must wonder, am I achieving anything here?
1: I never wonder if I'm achieving anything. I, I do think we are achieving many things. And I, I think the, the Office for Human Rights has achieved a lot over the five years since the Commission of Inquiry published its report, but also in the longer term. Human rights is not something that can be resolved uh, quickly mm-hmm. in a country. So so I think a certain measure of, of patience and taking one step at a time is, is something I would always strive to, to look to. You know, with the good cooperation we've had here in Seoul with civil society organizations and also, of course, with the assistance of, of the brave and, and, and dedicated to- north korean people who, who have shared their their lives and their stories with us that's something that that has made a great impression on me personally but but also that has helped and cont- contributed to the overall work we're doing
0: that's great you certainly um, you sound like a much more patient person than i would be in your situation now we have as you mentioned a lot of uh, you know about thirty thousand former north koreans who live in south korea uh do you have a you know, some people call them North Korean defectors, North Korean refugees, uh escapees. Do you have a, a term in the OHCHR that you use for that for, for these people?
1: Um it's something we've debated a lot, and I think one has to look at the individual and and see what what their motivations are and what their situation is. You know the refugees is difficult because they have a certain status in in South Korea that's different from refugees you would see in many other parts of the world. SKP certainly is is a term that that we have used in in the past mm-hmm. um, and defectors as well. Um, although that can have connotations, which uh, yeah, are problematic a... in some cases, at least.
0: Right. What are the key areas of human rights in, in North Korea that the OHCHR looks at and focuses on?
1: We look at the whole range of human rights. So in human rights, we have, of course, the, the economic and social rights of people, like the right to food and nutrition, to an education to um, decent working conditions, those kinds of things. So we have economic and social rights, like the right to uh, food, water and sanitation, uh, the right to health and education. But we also have civil and political rights, like the right to freedom of expression, to association, to criticize uh, the government in a peaceful way and and to leave one's country. So we work on on a full range of of rights in, in North Korea.
0: Some people, um, you mentioned the two different types of rights, um, the civil and political rights, and uh, as opposed to, what was the first group again? Uh, economic and social rights. Economic right. and social rights. And there are, there are some people, some groups, who would put them in almost two tiers and say that the economic and social rights are the ones that we should focus on now, uh, make sure that North Koreans have enough to eat, that they have a roof over their heads, that they have... Uh, uh, an ability to keep warm in winter, and that the civil and political rights are something that can be postponed until you know some unnamed future date uh, or maybe just ignored completely until North Korea is ready to deal with them do, do you accept this uh, sort of bifurcation of of rights
1: I think there is a growing understanding that the two uh, this division between those sets of rights is a sl- slightly <clears throat> or more than slightly artificial one what we say is that actually these rights are interdependent. If you don't have an education, for example, uh, if you don't have the right to, to voice concern about things that are happening in your community, you don't have a channel to to uh, forward concerns to your government on lack of economic and social rights, like the right to food, or the fact that you, you don't have clean water, or the fact that there is a factory in your neighborhood that's Polluting the environment, so this right to freedom of expression, the right to move, for example, to better your life, the right to upward social mobility, if you know, depending on your your, your talents and, and opportunities, those rights that, that create equality of opportunity in a way are, are so important for the fulfillment of economic and social rights that uh, that you cannot really separate the two. Likewise, of course, if you don't have enough uh, to eat or, mm-hmm. or drink fulfilling your right to freedom of expression is is very difficult. So it works both ways.
0: So we have to look at them both kind of in tandem, not putting one group before the other. Absolutely, yeah. Well, since uh, early last year, um, we've seen North Korea dramatically increase its diplomatic engagement with the outside world, including South Korea, China, and the United States. Uh, And of course, we're expecting uh, at the end of this month, the end of February, uh, a a probable second summit between uh, US President Donald Trump and uh, North Korea's uh, Chairman Kim Jong-un. At this point, one criticism that has been made is that human rights issues really haven't been mentioned in these talks with with neither with uh, South Korea nor with uh, China or even with the United States. What's the importance of including human rights into diplomatic talks with the DPRK?
1: It's very important to include human rights and it's very important to do it from the outside. And I think one mistake that's sometimes made is that including human rights is necessarily a confrontational thing. I think there are ways where you can use human rights actually to build trust rather than to undermine it. And this includes things like cooperation on economic rights, social rights, um, rights of persons with disabilities, the separated families, which was a positive outcome we saw of the first summit. All of those things are measures that would build trust rather than undermine them. Then you have a set of very difficult and sensitive topics that... North Korea would like not to discuss. And we need to get to those as well. And and no one is suggesting those should be ignored. But to use human rights to build trust, I think at this stage is, is a very important measure that, that one can take. It's also difficult to see how a, a process of engagement can be sustainable without including the fundamental rights to improve the lives of people who are living inside North Korea. I mean, presumably this is one of the things we would all like to see as an outcome of this process, is that those who are the very most vulnerable, those who are in the poorest situation inside North Korea, can have some improvement in their lives. And this doesn't mean we we ignore... I mean, of course, the security issue is is also a very important one, but there is nothing in those talks that would exclude including human rights as well.
0: I'm thinking historically about the the Helsinki, I don't know, is it the Helsinki model or the Helsinki dialogue, but that was something that the United States used uh, when talking to the Soviet Union back in the 1980s as a way of including human rights in the discussion. Is that a good model for what we could be doing with uh, North Korea?
1: Yes, to a certain extent, I think there are similarities and and there are many differences, of course, and, and we are in a different time now as well but certainly looking at lessons that can can be drawn and, and looking at what's different and what's the same with that process could be one way of, of moving
0: ahead and is that something that the OHCHR does I mean do you for example put forward proposals to to various governments and say look this is how you could be talking to North Korea about human rights
1: we we do encourage governments to to include human rights in in their um approaches to North Korea. And we will always do that because that's, in a way, part of our our work. Um, Now, how individual states decide to approach it, of course, is is their prerogative. But we certainly also bring suggestions to the DPRK directly on on how they could be approaching human rights. And and that can be done, for example, through the treaty body reviews or through the UPR, where member states make recommendations, not not us. So
0: there are different forums
1: in, in which recommendations can be made.
0: Do you think there's a, a at some point that human rights should be used more forcefully to leverage some uh, agreement or progress from North Korea before progress is allowed in other areas? For example, I'm thinking of um, b- before uh, sanctions regimes against North Korea are completely lifted, that uh, should uh, human rights be used to sort of say, you know, before you can have all the sanctions removed, we want to see this, this, and this.
1: I think it's important to see human rights and respect for human rights as a as a goal and uh, not as a tool um, and so the goal always have to be the the improvement of, of lives of, of people living in North Korea whether it's you know in terms of, of their civil and political rights or, or their access to to the basic Needs of, of life. And so, you know, there, there may be times when we choose not to, to engage with North Korea in, in areas where we may actually, where such engagement may actually lead to human rights violations or may contribute to human rights violations within the country. On the other hand, uh, humanitarian assistance, which exactly is improving those basic access to medical care and, and you know, uh, food and nutrition for, for lactating mothers and children should never be subject to um, sanctions mm-hmm. uh, because they target directly those vulnerable populations within the country.
0: We have seen that a little bit though, haven't we, in the last year or two, that exactly these areas, these humanitarian areas of um, you know, NGOs working to, to bring things into North Korea to help people uh, improve their conditions, that they have actually been uh, either blocked or curtailed by sanctions.
1: Uh, yes, and we talk about the the unintended impacts of, of sanctions. So the sanctions in themselves do not uh, prevent any humanitarian assistance, and, and the UN sanctions are very clear on that, mm. that humanitarian assistance is, is not subject to, to these sanctions. But there are, or there have been indications at least, that that there have been some side effects. And that also includes things like donor countries being less uh, interested in, for example, giving humanitarian assistance to North Korea, because it's so difficult to to oversee the distribution or or what happens, even though I I know that the UN agencies are are doing very important and and life-saving work in North Korea. So underfunding of of agencies, for example, is is a big issue for for those working in North Korea.
0: Now, you mentioned the United Nations is also doing good work in in helping humanitarian aid in North Korea. Uh, Outside the OHCHR, what are some other uh, UN agencies that are engaging North Korea to improve different areas of human rights uh, for people?
1: The agencies that are working in North Korea right now are the ones working on humanitarian assistance. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they have with the North Korean government is a strategic framework, which is a four-year plan for for where they're going to focus on their humanitarian assistance. Within that framework, because all UN agencies also do work, because human rights is a cross-cutting issue within the United Nations, Of course, the way they deliver their assistance is also through a human rights-based approach, which means things like you focus on the most vulnerable, you try to be transparent in your distribution of assistance, all of these things. Um, I will say that the restrictions on freedom of association and freedom of speech, for example, makes this process quite challenging uh, in in North Korea. Uh, having said that, they are able to do a, a lot of, of very good work.
0: I think we're all familiar, with, for example, with the World Food Programme uh, that that does. Um, work in North Korea, providing food to vulnerable sectors of the population. I think there's also the Food and Agricultural Organization. They're doing work in North Korea too.
1: Uh, yes, I, I don't want to talk too much about what the agencies do because I, I don't want to talk on on their behalf, so okay. to speak. But but sure. there's UNICEF and and there's a World Food Program. There's World Health Organization. So there are different organizations there.
0: Okay, and and you you mentioned that there there's some coordination there through the four year. A strategic framework.
1: Yeah, so like in, in other countries there is a, a resident coordinator who, who organizes all the UN agencies and coordinates the assistance so that it, it's done in a in a cohesive way.
0: Okay. Now, North Korea is not completely absent from all discussions on human rights. You mentioned that um, uh, through Geneva, uh, it's active in some areas, such as its reporting on implementation of the Convention on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women, or the, also the Convention on the Rights of the Child, and is expected to take part in the upcoming Universal Periodic Review, or UPR, that you mentioned, uh, which will take place in May this year. So how significant, how meaningful is this participation by the DPRK government?
1: The participation by the DPRK government in these processes is, is very significant, and it's, it's very important. It means that the DPRK writes the reports, it looks at these issues, it takes them seriously, it sends a signal to the international community that these are areas where it, it seeks improvement. And in, in that way, it's very significant, and it, it participates like other member states of the United Nations participates. What's also important, of course, is implementation of the recommendations that come out of these reviews. And on that, again, the lack of access makes it difficult to see exactly what is happening. But we do hope that uh, over time a process can be started where... OHCHR or other relevant actors can work with the North Korean government to try to improve in some of those areas or or follow up on the recommendations that are made.
0: Could you tell a little bit more detail about the Universal Periodic Review? What is that and how does it work? And does North Korea find it intrusive?
1: So the Universal Periodic Review is a peer review where every four years, every four and a half years, every member state of the United Nations comes in front of a A group of peers Mm -hmm. um, and presents a report on the overall human rights situation in the country, what it's achieved in the past four years and areas of of, uh, improvement as well. The recommendations that are made are made by other states Mm -hmm. of member states. And
0: is it all the states or is it a, a selected group of, of states? That it, are-
1: it can be any state. So those states make re- make uh, recommendations uh, to the state that's under review. North Korea has in the past accepted a number of recommendations made by other states. Mm. Um, it went through its last review in, in 2014. So this year it will be uh, reporting on how it implemented the recommendations it accepted in that year and and some of them have indeed been implemented things like ratification of the convention on the rights of of persons with disabilities Mm. and a subsequent visit by a special rapporteur on disabilities so it it goes so north korea has engaged actively in that review it's also made recommendations to other countries through in some in some reviews
0: that's interesting are you able to tell us any of the Uh, Specific examples of recommendations that North Korea made to other countries?
1: I can't remember off the top of my head, but but it's engaged in the process and Mm -hmm. and, um, that's important. What uh, we would, would hope come out of this review also would be looking at areas where North Korea would be open to working with OHCHR or with other actors, but with OHCHR on its areas of expertise to improve human rights inside North Korea. And that can be in areas like training for officials on human rights or technical cooperation on on standards for prisoners, for example, or working with some of the UN agencies in North Korea on the right to food or whatever the areas of specialization are.
0: How can the OHCHR practically provide technical assistance to implement those recommendations that North Korea has accepted?
1: There can be many different ways, of course. I mean, it it can be done through training. It can be done through workshops.
0: These are things that you offer, or not you specifically, but but your agency offers.
1: Sure, sure. It's something we would offer. And and then depending on what the topic would be, we would make sure we had the right people and and experts in, often a combination of people who who are training experts and who are technical experts and people who may understand the the country or, or the context As well, so so you would probably have a a team of of people working together on, on providing the best. Training right. possible. We sometimes do have regional trainings on on human rights that are run, for example, through a regional office in Bangkok or, or elsewhere. And, and North Korea's participation in, in those could be another venue for for um, this kind of technical cooperation.
0: Now let's talk about the uh, uh, about accountability. Uh, it's almost exactly five years to the day since the report of the Commission of Inquiry on Human Rights in the Democratic People's Republic of Korea came out, which is seventh of February. 2014. So that'll be, yeah, next Thursday will be exactly five years. Uh, This was the biggest single report on human rights abuses uh, or alleged human rights abuses in North Korea that has ever come out. Uh, The Committee of Inquiry, or COI, found that on the balance of probability, crimes against humanity have been and were being committed in the DPRK. Um, How has uh, North Korea responded to to that report? Uh, And how has the OHCHR followed up on these findings?
1: I think it's it's widely understood that North Korea uh, did not uh, accept the findings of that report and one of the recommendations that came out of that report was indeed to establish an office to look into the violations further and, and that is the office in Seoul that, that I'm heading right now. So that's one of the responses. We've also since that time had a group of experts look at avenues for international and national accountability. We've had a special rapporteur continue to work on, on, on similar issues and the work of our office uh, has included uh, substantive work on, on accountability and, and in March this year we will be presenting a report at the Human Rights Council on uh, avenues for accountability for, for North Korea that we've been based on the work we've been doing, especially over the last two years,
0: will that be like a kind of a, a follow up or an addendum to the committee of inquiries report?
1: Uh, in some sense, yes. In some sense, no. In in the sense, yes, that we have. Uh, it it will explain what we what steps we've taken mm. to follow up on the report and what steps we are taking to investigate or monitor or start to look into crimes against humanity including through creation of of a repository uh, that we were asked to to set up by the human rights council two years ago so it will explain those steps Mm. Um, it will not be a substance heavy report like the commission of inquiry report
0: the repository you just mentioned is that effectively a kind of a database of information and 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 um First-hand accounts.
1: Yes, it is, and and it, you know, it has data that we've collected over the past, you know, since 2015 in yeah. the office, but also information collected by civil society organizations and others. So,
0: mm, like ND, NKDB that I just mentioned earlier. Yeah,
1: exactly. So the idea is to to have everything, or as much as possible, in in one place, so that any future accountability mechanism would be able to. Access the information to have it all and to have the documentation done right now is, yeah. is important because, as we know, memory fades, mm. uh, witness testimonies get less reliable over time, um, and going back and trying to find the right people can also be tricky. So, we are just, it's just a starting point for that process, really.
0: In the five years since the report has come out, what has gone right in terms of the international community's response or follow up?
1: I think what's gone right is that. The issue of Crimes Against Humanity is now firmly on the international community's agenda. It's recognized. There have been General Assembly resolutions. There have been Human Rights Council resolutions. We are continuing the work. We are collecting evidence. We are continuing to find other ways of, of trying to to establish crimes against humanity, or looking what how these things could be addressed, mm-hmm. so that's something I think we've we've done well, and and OHCHR has has taken the lead and and continued to follow up on this in a, in a quite consistent and consolidated
0: way. That's great. What's gone wrong, if anything, in the last five years? I mean, has, has the report been? forgotten? I mean, five years is already a long time, and it's a big report. It's a lot to read, and people move on to other issues.
1: Of course. I mean, there are many places in the world today that require a lot of attention. I don't think the report has been forgotten. I think uh, as far as uh, UN reports go, it's probably one of the more interesting and readable ones. Mm. Also for a non human rights uh, audience, it, it has a very compelling narrative to it. I think what's gone wrong is that, uh, you know, people who were in political prison camps five years ago are probably still in political prison camps Mm -hmm. if if they've survived. And and so I I don't think there is any, you know, while we can talk at a structural level about our successes, there can't be no success until we've improved the lives of of those people who who are victims of of crimes against humanity or, or human rights violations. And in that sense, we are far from the end of, of the the project mm. um so i think keeping that in mind what's gone wrong is is that of course the international system that exists is, is somehow inadequate in helping those people in the immediate and and comprehensive way that they as individuals with with full value yeah. fully deserve and and that's deeply tragic of course
0: yeah you mentioned that uh most people who were in prison camps, if they've survived, they still are. Is there any way that we can say that there has been a significant improvement in any aspect of human rights in, in, in North Korea in the last five years?
1: I do think that there are improvements in, in some areas. I think there are improvements in uh, the understanding of rights of women and persons with disabilities, perhaps the rights of children as, as well. Again, it, it's hard to to monitor everything, but I, I do think these steps towards engaging, the reporting to treaty bodies, the the engagement with the with the universal periodic reviews, they shouldn't be underestimated. Mm. On a structural level, not much has changed. You know, when when we talk to people who've come from North Korea recently, the things they tell us about their experience in detention, if they've been in detention, mm. or in prisons, if they've been in prisons. Um, or the, the fear of being taken to a political prison camp are still there. And, and so in that sense, in, in terms of in those areas, probably there is limited change.
0: So you, you've talked to uh, uh, North Korean refugees or, or uh, defectors or escapees who live in South Korea. What's the, mo- the biggest thing you've learned or the most surprising thing you've learned from them since you've been here?
1: Well, I think one thing I've learned is that uh, there's still a lot to learn. Every time I speak to someone from North Korea, I feel like I learn something I didn't know before. Um, And even though many of the people we speak to have, you know, uh, in some ways, parallel stories of of trying to leave and, and their lives in North Korea... Everyone has also a very individual story and very individual experiences, as one would expect in, in any country. It's something we we must never forget when we talk about North Korea, because sometimes narratives can get watered down to a very sort of uniform uh, mm-hmm. picture of, of of complete depletion. And when you speak to individuals, that's not at all the the picture they convey one on one. So I think that's something I I, I appreciate that that there is a lot that we don't know and there's a lot more to understand about north korea is there a danger
0: in sorry to interrupt, is there a danger in, in accounts some accounts being either exaggerated or people borrowing elements of other people's accounts um, it's hard to cross reference or cross check these things is there a, a a difficulty in that
1: there is but we try to use a methodology and that includes invo- uh, interviewing people as, as soon as possible for example mm. after they've arrived uh, to Limit this danger. Of course, that's that's always a possibility. But I also think one, one has to be careful with uh, dismissing accounts uh, that right. uh, people give to one very uh, bravely and courageously, I, I would say. You know, we, we walk in as, as foreigners or sometimes Koreans working in our office and ask people to tell us about the worst thing that ever happened to them, essentially. And I think it, it requires real courage to tell those narratives and to give us that trust. So to then go back and say, no, this may not have been true. Of course, we have to verify at a certain point, yeah. but at face value, I think we also have to respect that as, as a great uh, you know, gift of trust that, that the people we interview give to us.
0: You mentioned that your office is exclusively uh, looking at uh, human rights in in north korea north korea has at various times over the years maybe not so much recently but they they used to write reports and publish books about human rights abuses in south korea have you seen any of these and and you know does north korea ever say well what why are you just looking at us let's look at south korea too
1: no country of course is without its human rights mm. problems and uh, then I mean, not every country has crimes against humanity happening in it of course so uh there is a difference in degree and and in in scale. And and that's important to recognize. Uh, But where things uh, are problematic in South Korea, we have other parts of the OHCHR who will raise those areas. Um, And the ROK also goes through its universal periodic review Mm -hmm. every four years. And other countries can give Recommendations at that time. The ROK also has a, a national uh, framework to deal with human rights issues, like right. the National Human Rights Commission. So, uh, so yes, I mean there is coverage of that, just not from our office right. in Seoul.
0: some North Korean escapees who live in in uh, South Korea, they say that they have. Um, being subject to human rights abuses here in the ROK. Uh, is that something that they come and, and talk to you about?
1: They, they do occasionally, and, and uh, where we do, we, we usually forward it to, to our officers who do work on, on the ROK mm. in, in Geneva. But it's not something we particularly are, are qualified to look into from our office or right. mandated to.
0: Now, just last month, the UN Special Rapporteur on the Situation of Human Rights in the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. So he visited Seoul. He met with the uh, ROK government officials as as well as he he met with you, too, I think, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Uh, How closely do you work together on DPRK issues? And is he actually, is the Special Rapporteur part of the OHCHR or is it? So separate, but but parallel. How does that work?
1: It's parallel, I would say. I mean, he he has a mandate from the High Commissioner, but he works independently, and he's an independent expert who's not paid by the by the OHCHR, which gives him an opportunity to to lend a voice that's that's uh, you know uh, an expert voice that's it's free of any kind of of influence, and and he's been using that voice as as you know over the last. Uh, years when he 's been in in, in his uh, position, we do work together, of course, and we coordinate and we meet many of the same people, um, so of course, there is close cooperation, but uh, we write separate reports, and, and he has a distinct uh, role and, and voice that he uses when he when he uh, does his reports and his press conferences.
0: How do you divide up? Uh, you mentioned that he does some. he meets some of the same people, although he 's independent and separate, there must be some I guess some overlap there. How do you divide up the tasks and responsibilities? What does he do that you do not or vice versa?
1: We do each our, our separate research and we base our reports on, on separate areas of, of information. Mm-hmm. He may choose to look into certain areas that our office is not focused on. Right. So he takes the lead in, in deciding what those areas are if he becomes particularly interested in, in certain areas or, mm-hmm. or in certain outcomes. So He's talked in the past about the sanctions or, or other other topics that, that we've not looked into so closely. But having, having said that, of of course, we, we do talk to each other about what what we think about things.
0: Right, because you're working on the same thing, so that, yeah. that, that some degree of uh, liaison would be would be natural, I imagine. Now, how much longer will you be here at the OHCHR in off- office in Seoul? Do you have a is there a deadline or a you know a, an expiry date?
1: Well, I've been here for three and a half years now and and there is no expiry date so uh i I don't have any concrete plans for mm-hmm. for leaving one of the the good things about working with the u n is of course you you get to to move around to different places and and you get to see different contexts yeah. and so it, it's been a, a good uh, time to to spend here. And, and every year, I feel like you understand a little bit more and, and then you realize how much you don't understand no. still. So so that's been a, a great experience so far. But But no, there's no set mm.
0: time. What more would you like to achieve during the rest of your term here?
1: I would like to see the accountability work move forward. And at the same time, I would hope that... Uh, what we started with, that we can use human rights in a way to promote uh, both the the ongoing international process uh, and and connections in a positive and and empowering way that helps people in in North Korea. Also help that process of of North Korea stepping into the the folds of of the international community and and legitimacy. And and that would include more openness Mm. to international and national human rights activists, monitors, officials to be able to to visit and and document and and, uh, address problems with the government. It can take decades, and and of course... Another thing I, I would, uh, in the long term, I think anyone looking at North Korea from a human rights angle would, would like to do is, is to also be able to visit.
0: Um, is there anything that you specifically hope will come out of the uh, the second Trump-Kim summit at the end of this month?
1: Well, I think it's, it's clear as a, as a human rights person, official, that I would hope for human rights to be raised. Mm. I would hope that it would be raised in a constructive way, in a way that... Helps North Korea move forward on, on this path towards one denuclearization, but, but also legitimacy as, as an international actor. So, one would hope that things such as access could be raised as part of those talks. Yeah.
0: yeah you mentioned um, raising human rights in a constructive way. Um, and earlier we talked about you know, that, that there's a, a risk of, um, of using human rights as a, as a tool. Um, you know, some, some talk about the, the weaponization of human rights discourse or the politicization of human rights discourse, just to, to use it as something a bludgeon to hit North Korea over the head with. Can you talk a little bit about that risk, that danger? Where does that come from?
1: If you only raise human rights when relations are not good mm-hmm. between countries, then it becomes more of a bludgeon. If you raise human rights when relations are good and when they are not so good as a constant, yeah. as a principle, Uh, as something that we don't veer from regardless, then we have a chance of making genuine and sustainable progress in in the human rights situation, which will help with all of those other nice things that that I think uh, North Korea would see as a positive that were spoken about in the New Year's speech. Mm -hmm. Economic development, um, improvement of conditions of the people, perhaps also denuclearization Mm -hmm. at some point. All of those things are, are also linked to respect for these human rights.
0: No, that, that makes sense. And I wish you all the best with that. And thank you very much for coming on the NK News podcast today.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Uh, Thanks once again to Sina Paulson for coming on the NK News podcast. Don't forget, listeners, you can listen to all of our shows and read full bios and show notes on our website, nknews.org. NK News is, of course, the leading repository on North Korean news, research and analysis. And we hope to see you there. And you can send feedback, comments, questions or guest suggestions to podcast at nknews.org. Our podcast was produced by Arias Dare and facilitated by Chad O'Carroll and Christina Lee, who has the flu this week and we hope she gets better very soon. Lastly, a reminder that one random reviewer per week will win a free NK News membership. So please review us after listening and you might win. And you can save $50 off your NK News subscription by using the code podcast at the checkout. Please continue to listen and share this with your friends. Thanks very much and check us again next time.